This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey guys, uh, Pastor Rich here, and thank you so much for joining us online. Once again, we're in this season where we're doing services online, and I know it's, you know, some of you with families and kids running around, it may be a little bit more difficult. I heard from one of my uh, small groups that that the parents are actually waiting till the evening on Sunday evenings to to actually watch the service. And so, but again, thank you so much for joining us online. We are in this series called Words That Can Change Your Life. We've been looking at a single word each week to to discuss and talk about how that word can impact our life. We kicked off the series with the word no. And the word no was really all about creating boundaries, about saying no, sometimes even to good things, so that we can say yes to much better things in our life. And then we followed it up the week after that with the word yes. And that was really about God's promises for us. You know, there are over 7,000 promises in God's word. And the Apostle Paul tells us that all of God's, some of them, not a few of them, all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus for us. That God looks at us and he says, I say yes to you, which allows us to say yes back to God. We can say yes to God, to, to God. We can say yes to life. We can say yes to others. Then last week, we looked at yet another word. And this one was a little bit more difficult to talk about because it strikes at our pride. And it was the word Sorry that if you're going to be successful in your relationships, that you and I have to learn how to be people who give and receive forgiveness well. We have to learn that. It's difficult, and it strikes at our pride. And King David was our, our lesson on how we can say yes, how we can ask God to forgive us, how we can ask God to fill our lives, and that we can actually walk in relational harmony with others around us as we learn to give and receive forgiveness. Today, we're going to look at yet one other word, and that's the word thanks or thank you. I know, I, I, I can already hear what you're thinking, right? Rich, really? Thank you? I mean, I know I have to be thankful when somebody does something good for me. And I know I need to teach my kids to say thank you when grandparents bring presents to the house. But really, does thank you really change my life? Is that really a word that can change my life? And here's what we're going to discover today. That gratitude is, you know, not just simply saying thank you. But gratitude is actually a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking that if we will put ourselves in that attitude of gratitude, if we will think with this mindset of thankfulness and gratitude, that it has the potential of changing your life. The Apostle Paul tells us in, in 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, um, this is a very familiar passage to many of you, but he says, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Always keep on praying. No matter what happens, he goes on, always be thankful. No matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, when I've read this verse many, many times, I wonder, Paul, are you serious? No matter what, always be thankful. I mean, I know it's in the Bible and all, but I have to be honest with you guys. I'm not always thankful for everything in my life. I struggle sometimes with that. You know something I'm not thankful for? I'm not thankful for snow. Now, I know for some of you, you know, winter freaks and Christmas freaks and all that stuff, you love snow. And I remember when we first moved here from, uh, from California to, to Iowa, I remember uh, our first snow. 
I mean, it was like my kids were glued to the window. We as parents were glued to the window. And then when the snow started coming down, I mean, my kids were out in the yard making snowmen. And, and you know, and I, was, I, I had this little rinky-dink plastic shovel that I was out there with a big smile on my face, moving snow. You know, I was really happy to be moving snow. My neighbors were probably looking at me like, yeah got to be his first snow. <laughs> he, he doesn't even know what he's doing. Well, since then, I've bought two snowblowers. I've wore one out. I, I now have a really cool steel snowblower. I mean, this thing can, can chuck, wet, chuck wet snow for, for a block. I mean, this thing is amazing. It's powerful. And when it snows, I'm still like, oh, snow. I'm not thankful for snow. So Paul, are you serious? When you say always be thankful, are you talking about blizzards as well? Are you talking about we should always be thankful in all these things? Another translation for this passage is in all circumstances, give thanks. In all circumstances, give thanks. In other words, the Apostle Paul is not saying be thankful for everything. What he's trying to say is that in whatever circumstance, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, to learn to give thanks. Now notice something. That word give thanks is actually in the imperative form. It means it's a command. It's not like Paul say, hey, it's a good idea that every once in a while be thankful. He's not saying that, hey, you know what? Uh, if you like, if your circumstances are conducive, go ahead and be thankful. That's not what he's saying. He's saying thankfulness is something that we do no matter what. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's something that God has called us to do. And thankfulness is something that we really need in our society today. Gratitude is really missing in our society today. There was a, st- a study from Harvard Medical School where, they, where, they, uh, where there was 400 adults that were in this study that were researching the impact of gratitude upon the overall well-being of a person. Either having gratitude or the lack of gratitude, they're trying to determine how did that impact their well-being. And here's, here was their conclusion, that general gratitude leads to a decrease in stress, anxiety, and depression. That having a general feeling of gratitude your, your stress levels are decreased, your anxieties decrease, your depressions decrease, and that there's an increase in a person's overall well-being. Now, the professor that was actually running this research, this study, was a Dr. Ross Marin. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he concluded further that religious gratitude, and what he meant by religious gratitude is gratitude towards God, religious gratitude resulted in, in a greater decrease of stress, anxiety, and depression. That a person who has a general disposition of thankfulness towards God actually lives a healthier, more satisfied life because they're grateful. Listen, this little word, thanks, it can change your life. This mindset of gratitude can change your life. There's a story in Numbers 11 where the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and God loves them and so God rescues them from their slavery They cross the Red Sea unharmed. He defeats their enemies. And as they're going through the wilderness, there's something called manna that God provides for them because they're in the wilderness, right? So God provides manna to them. Now manna, the literal meaning of the word manna is what is it? What is it? Like they saw it falling from from the skies and it landed on the ground. They looked at it and God said, that's your food. And they looked at it and they said, what is it? Now typically when we use the word what is it, it's not usually for something that is appetizing, right? It's not usually for something that, we, that we're hoping to, oh man, I can't wait to eat that, right? 
In fact, when your kids use the word, what is it? It's usually followed with some facial expressions and like, yuck, what is it? Or gross, what is it? And then they discover it's like Aunt Margaret's gelatin and beets concoction or something, you know? So it's not surprising that the Israelites were a little hesitant when it came to this manna that God was providing. But here's the deal. Manna was this honey-infused bread that God was providing for them while they were in the wilderness. I mean, they were in the wilderness. There was a, no food source. There was no way that they were going to survive. God was literally keeping them alive with this manna. You would think that they would be extremely grateful for it. You would think that they would be thankful that God, because they're in this wilderness, because they cannot get food, because they cannot buy food, that they actually had something to eat, but it's quite the opposite. Listen, listen to what it says in verse 4 of Numbers 11. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Okay, now they're reminiscing being back in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. They go on. But now our appetites are all gone. In other words, we had all this great food, and now our appetites are gone because all we ever see is this manna. Manna, manna, manna. That's what they were complaining about. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how when we don't see our circumstances properly, when we start complaining, it's amazing how that skews our perspective of reality because there was one element that they forgot when they were talking about reminiscing about Egypt is that they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't own their lives. They were told what they had to do day in and day out. Years ago, I remember I was a, I was a brand new believer. This was like 1982. And uh, I had just become a Christian in this church and the youth pastor of the church wanted me to... Uh, to, you know, have lunch with him and his family. He was kind of reaching out to me. He saw me as a, as a young man that he wanted to invest in. And so he said, hey, why don't you come to lunch with us after church? And so we went to his family's, to, to his house. He had, he's married and he had these two, uh, two uh, upper elementary age kids. And so we're ready for lunch. As we're sitting around the table, my, his wife says, hey, we're having goulash for lunch. You ever had goulash? I'm like, no, I've never had goulash. I didn't know what goulash was at that time. But I thought, hey, I'm in America. I should try American food, right? So we're going to have goulash for lunch. And so she brings it out, sits it on the table. I'm sitting here next to me is one of the kids. He's like a fifth grader or sixth grader. And then across from me is another one of the kids, like a fourth grader or third grader. Then the parents on both sides of me. <clears throat> And she opens up the casserole dish, and there's the goulash. And immediately, one of the kids, the one across from me, goes, he goes, Bleh! <laughs> he made that sound. And then he must, that must like cued the other kid sitting next to me. He's like, gross, what is it? It's gross. And, uh, and you know, I'm watching, I'm, tr I'm kind of holding a laugh in, you know, because it was funny to see how they were reacting to her goulash. But then her brainless husband, my youth pastor, <laughs> he goes on. It's funny now. It wasn't, it was, I guarantee it wasn't funny then. But he goes on and says, were you trying, to his wife, were you trying to make my mom's recipe of goulash? <laughs> it was a quiet meal. Nobody talked after that. 
And so after the meal, you know, we got up from the table and we're supposed to hang out afterwards, but I could tell my youth pastor was like, man, he didn't say this, but I could tell by his body language and his lack of comment, lack of talking was like, man, you need to get out of here so I can go apologize to my wife. He needed last week's sermon actually. And so imagine how she felt, right? She prepares this meal, she puts it on the table and she's excited to feed this guest and her kids just are disgusted by it. They just complain about it. The husband, he reacts and says, hey, this is nothing like my mom's recipe. I'm sure she was thinking, man, I'll never cook for them again. I wonder if this is how God felt with the children of Israel that day. I wonder if he was like, you know, I rescued you from slavery. You were slaves. You had no life. You worked 16 hours a day. I parted the Red Sea, and then, and then when, when Israel's army, I mean, Pharaoh's armies were coming down upon you, and they were going to destroy you, I defeated the armies of, of Pharaoh. And then I was taking you to, to this place, this beautiful land. It was so beautiful that we actually called it the promised land. That's what we were doing. And then, from, and then on top of that, we had to go through a wilderness to get to the promised land, and here's what happens. I provide food for you to eat. I was keeping you alive in the wilderness. And all you do is complain? Seriously? So God speaks to Moses and says, hey, tell the people this. Verse 18 of Numbers 11. And so to the people, and say to the people, tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. This is them crying out to God. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have to eat it. Notice there's like an emphasis. You will have to eat it. Go on. And and it won't be for just a day or two or five or 10 or even 20. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of eating it. Have Have you, I grew up like this. My parents you know, like, I don't know if your parents ever said this to you, but they said this to me. Oh, you want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. Remember that? Evidently, my parents' parenting technique was a biblical technique, evidently, because that's exactly what God is doing right here, right? God is so ticked off about this, about their complaint that hundreds of years later in Psalm 95, he's still talking about it. He's telling you, he's talking about how faithless they were and how offensive this was to him. Thousands of years later in Hebrews chapter three, God is still going on about the whining and the complaining that's, that, that they did. I mean, why is God so offended and taking it so personally? I mean, put yourself in God's shoes. You created the earth and made it sustainable for life. You give oxygen, you give you know, oxygen for people to breathe. You give food and water for them to eat, keep them alive. You create things like oceans and majestic mountains and sunsets at, at a beach. I mean, I've been at, at in, in, when we lived in Huntington Beach, these beautiful sunsets at the beach. Give them beautiful lakes. Then you provide for them. You give them food to eat, right? You give them steak and bacon and bluebell ice cream, all right? And you give all this stuff. Then you give them shelter, you give them relationships like parents and husbands and wives and, and, and friends and children, people to love and to be loved by. And then finally, you, you give them the most important thing. You give your one and only son, Jesus Christ. And when you give your son, he dies on a cross and he's resurrected. That provides salvation for you and I, forgiveness of sins, 
hope for eternal life and the promise that God would never leave us or forsake us. You give all of that and instead this is how we respond to that. My life stinks. My job stinks. I wish I had more vacation time. I wish I made more money. My marriage stinks. Why am I stuck in this marriage? God, why haven't you done more for me? It's so unfair. And what it sounds like to God is manna, manna, manna. God, why, why? Here's what I believe. The happiest people on the planet, the happiest people on the planet are those who are most thankful. Those are the people that are happy. Research shows this to be true. Um, The Bible confirms it to be true. That the most joyful people are the ones who are the most thankful. So Paul says to you and I, no matter what your circumstances, whether good or bad, because the circumstances really don't, it's not dependent on the circumstances. Circumstances can influence our life, but it's how we navigate through the circumstances that are important. He says, no matter what the circumstances are, always, always be thankful. I mean, if we could simply take that one command to heart, to live with a mindset of gratitude, it could change your life. It could change my life have this attitude of gratitude. Now, how do we do that? Because the truth is, we go through life. Life is full of ups and downs, circumstances and challenges. And how do we, how do we navigate that? How, through the circumstances, can we become people who are more grateful? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to eliminate when-then thinking. We need to eliminate when-then thinking. I've, uh, I've actually really struggled with this all my life, this when-then kind of thinking. Like when I was a kid and I'm living at home, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to get out of this house. So when I get out of this house, then I will finally be happy. When I leave my parents' home, then I'll finally be happy. And then I'm in college and I'm thinking, when I, when I graduate and when I get married, then finally things will start coming together for me, right? Some of you might be saying, when I, when I retire, then, then I'll be able to enjoy my life. If you're single, you might be saying, when I get married, then I won't be so lonely. And then you get married. And then you say to yourself, well, when we have kids, then we'll really be happy. Then you have kids. And then you're thinking, I guess when the kids get out of diapers, then we'll really be happy, right? There's always this when, then, these conditions about how, how, we, how we measure happiness in our life. We need, to, we need to get rid of this when, then thinking. It's this idea that there's something some person, some event, that when it happens, I will finally, finally be happy. The problem with when-then thinking is that it has an ability to erode, to to stamp out gratitude. That when when I'm constantly thinking about some future event, something that's going to finally make me happy over there, I am not thankful today. It just stamps out gratitude. Psalm 118, verse 24 this is an old song. If you were in church years ago, we used to sing that this is, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Okay, I won't sing. Uh, but Psalm 118, 24, this is the day. And when he says this is the day, he's talking about today, okay, today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That today is the day that God has made. Not tomorrow, not someday next week. Not some season down the road. Today is the day that the Lord has made. He goes on in, in, in Psalm 90. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart 
of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. I figured out that as of today, I have lived, I have been on this earth 20,599 days. 20,599 days. That's a long, long time. Those are the days that I've been on this earth. That's the number of days that I have been on this earth. But notice what the psalmist says. He says, teach us to number our days. In other words, it's not natural for us. It's not natural for us to be conscientious of each and every day in our life. So we need to learn. Something that we have to learn is to number our days. For me, it's easy always to be looking ahead. It's easy for me to get trapped in that when-then thinking, that when this happens, then I'll finally get to where I want to get. And then I get there and I realize that there's still something else. When I get to that, then I'll finally be happy and I'll be satisfied. When-then thinking, that's something that we need to take out of our lives. We need to learn to rejoice in today. We need to learn to be thankful for today. When he says, number our days, it's about learning to get up in the morning and say, God, I'm thankful for today. Today, God, I'm thankful for my family. Today, I'm thankful for my friends. Today, I'm thankful for my, my church. Today, on day 20,599, I'm thankful for today. Second way that we can grow in gratitude is that we need to be the one who circles back. Be the one who circles back. <clears throat> in Luke 17, uh, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and he's on the border between uh, Galilee and Samaria when 10 lepers come to him and, uh, and they cry out to him and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, you know? And so uh, lepers, leprosy in the Bible is a very, it was a terrible, terrible sickness, a terrible disease. And so it's, today we call it Hansen's disease. It's a, it's, it's, it's a terrible skin disease where a horrible disfigurement happens on, on a person's body. In underdeveloped countries, they would lose part of their fingers. Um, their nose would, the, the, the end of their nose would rot off. They're, I probably could use that. I could probably use some leprosy on my nose to get rid of that part. No. End of the nose would rot off. Their earlobes ear would, would just fall off. It was considered very contagious, although modern medicine disputes that today. Either way, no matter whether it was really contagious or not, in biblical times, leprosy, a person who was a leper was an outcast. It was a person who, who was not allowed to just hang out with people. They were considered unclean. In fact, if they would walk down the street, they would have to, and there was people around, they would have to yell to the top of their lungs, unclean, unclean, to, to let people know that there's a leper in the area. In many ways, a leper was considered cursed by God. And so Jesus heals all 10 of them. Instantly, their lives are changed. Instantly, they're able to go back home and hold hands with their loved ones, hug their friends. Instantly, they're able to go into the temple and start offering sacrifices to God. Instantly, they're able to, to no longer be an outcast in society. But look what it says in verse 15. <clears throat> Luke 17, verse 15 says, One of them, when he saw that he, had, he was healed, came back to Jesus. So I'm talking about circling back. Came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. And he goes on. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him. Thanking Jesus. Thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a, a, an Israelite. He was from another country. Jesus goes on. Jesus asked, didn't, he, did, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this one foreigner? 
Only one man circled back. And so the question is, will we circle back? Will we be people who recognize God's hand of deliverance and healing our life and come back to it? You know, statistically speaking, we won't. Statistically speaking, we will forget. God will do amazing things. He will heal us. He'll give us abundant life. He'll provide for us. He'll care for us. He'll love us. But then we'll just move on with our life. We will be preoccupied, wrapped up in our careers, our ambitions, our kids. And we'll forget to circle back to God and say thank you. So will you be the one? The one who daily pauses and says, thank you, God, for everything that you've given me. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for healing my body. Thank you for the family that you have given in my life. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my, for my husband. Thank you for my kids. Will we be the one who circles back? Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor in, in Oklahoma, and he tweeted this once. He said, every blessing in our life that isn't turned into praise will turn into pride. That every blessing <clears throat> that we receive in our life, if we don't turn right around and make it a praise to God, it turns into pride. That if we forget to give thanks, we begin to believe that what we receive, we earned it. We deserved it. We are entitled to it. And it turns into pride. So will you be the one? Now, this is really hard for us. This really is hard for us. We're not always thankful. Too much of our lives, we think that we deserve it. We, I worked hard for that paycheck. I've worked hard for that paycheck, and we forget that God is the one who provides. Or I worked hard to, to make my house a certain way. It's my thing, and it's God who actually has given it to us. These days, you know, physically for me, um, if I lie on my bed for any length of time or I'm sitting on a couch for any length of time and I decide to get up, my knees start cracking. Some of you have been in the, in the living room with me when I get up and my knees go crack, 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 you know, and there's a little bit of pain associated with it. You know, not, I'm not a big complainer, at least not openly, but I can tend to have these pity parties in my head, you know. And so I remember one day, I was several months back, I'd had this injury in my foot. I'd, I'd, some of you remember, I fell off this one wheel and had this injury in my foot. And I went like three weeks where I was having an injury in my foot and my knees were giving me a hard time. Then it went from one leg to the next leg and I was just going back and forth. And just weeks had gone by where I was feeling this, this pain in my legs. And I was, again, I was sitting in my, in my bedroom one day and I was just having this pity party in my head. I was frustrated about what was happening with my legs. I was frustrated with it. So I, I did what everybody does when you're frustrated and you're having a pity party. You, I went to Facebook and I started looking at my Facebook feed. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's probably not the healthy, healthiest thing to do, but that's what I was doing. And so I'm looking at my feed and in my Facebook feed pops up this, this video of this motivational speaker by the name of Nick Vujicic. And Nick is <clears throat> Australian. He's a young man. He's Australian. And he was born without legs and without arms, no limbs. First part of his life, it was okay. Everything was fine. But then when he started going to school and there were special needs that he had, kids started making fun of him and bullying him and, and teasing him for his condition. And he realized at that point that he was different than anybody else he'd ever met. By the time he was age eight, he was uh, telling his mother that he wishes he was not alive. He wishes that he had never been born. At the age of 10, he tried to commit suicide. He says, I tried to commit suicide in six inches of water because he had no legs, no arms. He failed. 
As a teenager, he came into contact with a Christian community and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He still would have these secret questions like, why was I born this way? Why was I like this? God, what? it's unfair. And there was a lot of ingratitude, he would say. But then he was reading in the Bible and he read the story of, this, of Jesus healing this blind man. And when the blind man was healed, people asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it his parents' fault or was it this man's fault? And Jesus said, it's neither. This man was born this way so that God might get the glory. And he realized, this is why I was born. I was born this way so that God might get glory from my life. And he always says, look, if you're not going to get your miracle, then be a miracle to somebody else. I want you to take a look at this video real quick. As you hear a little bit, he was on an Oprah Winfrey show. T take a look. <clears throat> Make the conscious choice that you were going to take all of that which the rest of the world looks at, you know, undeniably as a pretty bad hand, and that you were going to turn it into something, you were going to be exalted by it. What, what happened to you that you were able to do that? Oprah, I know that you love to think out of the box and have things outside of the box in your yes. show. Yeah. And I know that you love illustrations. So if I may illustrate in about 180 seconds, can I do something a little crazy, but it'll Certainly. be powerful. Go Is that right cool? Ahead. You got a camera behind me, right? Yeah. I'm gonna show you. Come, come, come. The this step right here. Is there enough light here? Okay. The chemistry. I was born without arms and legs. The chemistry I could not change in my life. I know that God didn't give me this pain, but what the enemy tried to use for bad, he turned into good. Yeah. Man, the connections. I want to tell uh, Porsche, uh, look, I'm a guy, I love cars, okay? And I love Porsches more than Ferraris, okay? <laughs> and, and I want everyone to know that, that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And until you can actually understand that we are all wonderfully and fearfully made from God, um, I want you to know that, that you will always be trapped and chained and you will be stopped. But when you have the incredible power of faith in action, nothing holds you back. And you're beautiful just the way that you are. No worries. For me, I felt the connection. Yeah. For me, in my life, I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to get married. I can't, you know, can't even hold my wife's hand. What connection am I going to have? But you know what? All things come together for the good for those who love him. Man, this is a little bit high. I'm going to break my arm, man. This is pretty crazy. All right. I'm going to break my arm. Circumstances. Being born without arms and legs, man, it's all about choice. You asked me what it was. I had parents who were my heroes. They always said, you, you can either be angry for what you don't have or be thankful for what you do have. Do your best and God will do the rest. And consciousness. Because I gave my life to Lord Jesus Christ and the renewing of my mind, I knew that I could be unstoppable. I watched this video and I wonder, how would Nick feel having my legs? The ones that I complain about, the ones that I'm frustrated, that they crack and they're making all kinds of, I mean, I think he would be so thankful for the legs that I have. It's so easy for me to take for granted the things that I have. Paul says, no matter what your circumstances are, 
be thankful. Be thankful. I mean, Nick's circumstances by all standards would be considered beyond, beyond anybody's ability to endure. And yet he is thankful to God and he's, he's made a decision to be thankful to God for how he was fearfully and wonderfully made. That whatever happened in his life, God has turned it around for good. You see, gratitude isn't just saying thank you once. Gratitude is a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's getting up every morning and deliberately saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this. I get up in the morning and I, and I begin to breathe air. And I say, God, thank you for the air that I get to breathe. God, thank you that I get to actually get out of a bed in the morning. God, thank you that I can get up in the morning, walk into my kitchen and grab a cup of coffee and get some breakfast. God, thank you that I have a family that loves me and cares for me. Thank you that I have children that are healthy. Thank you, God, that I have a job. Thank you, God, that I have a, a, a great church. Thank you, thank you. Learning to say on a daily basis, thank you for everything that God, you have done through us. This is really what having a, a, a mindset of gratitude is all about. And I guarantee you that if, we, if we're obedient to that passage and we allow this mindset to develop inside of us, that we learn to number our days, it will change your life. I want to pray for you real quick. <clears throat> I want to ask you to, to think this week of an area of your life that maybe you've been complaining about. And try to turn that around and, and see the positive of what God might be doing. The things that God might be trying to form in you. You see, God gives us great things in our life. Sometimes he gives us challenges in our life, like Nick Vujicic's. Challenges in our life, learning to say, God, turning that around. I see how you are working. I see how you are making the best out of this. And learning to give gratitude to God, thankfulness, thank, thank you to God. And so here's what I'm going to challenge you to do this week. Is to examine your own heart. Examine the areas of your life where you've been complaining, where you've been less, less than appreciative. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe you look at your wife with, with certain eyes. You're just not happy with how she is. And you've been complaining about her in your heart, maybe to a friend. Or maybe you've been complaining about your husband or your kids or whatever. And turn that around and say, God, I want to thank you for everything that you've given me. Start with thanking him for your life, for the fact that you have life. Start thanking him for, for the, the peace that you have, for the, for the finances that you have, for the home that you have, for the car that you drive. And I promise you, as we start being thankful to God, it's going to turn things around for us. I'd like to pray for you. <clears throat> and so what we're going to do, we're going to pray right now. We're going to have a moment of worship after this, but let me pray with you. Father, I just want to thank you, God. We start, Father, by just thanking you. We make a conscious choice to number our days. Today is day number 20,599 for me. And today, God, I want to thank you. I thank you for my wife, Christy. I thank you, Father, for all the years next tomorrow that we would have spent 33 years of marriage together. God, I thank you for all the years that she has been faithfully loving me and caring for me. And Father, those times where we've been it's been difficult and challenging. Father, she was committed to the, to the relationship. I thank you for Christy. I thank you for my four children, Jonathan, Josh, Gabriel, and Caitlin, God, and my grandkids. Father, I just thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for my church. I thank you for my friends in my church, Lord God. I thank you, God, because all of this is a blessing from you, God. 
And I, Father, too many days I have, I have ignored it. Too many days I have forgotten that you have blessed me in so many ways. And today, Father, I choose on day number 20,599, I choose to thank you for everything that you have done in my life. And God, help us all to be thankful for the things. 